Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 242, and today we are talking about books being released on January 14th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hello! So, episode 242, palindrome. Yeah. Very, very short one, but still. Still palindrome, though. And has 42 in it, which is the answer to everything. (laughs) Which I could use today. I was just explaining to Kelly before we started recording that uh, I haven't actually recorded an episode of a podcast in over three weeks. So, for instance, uh, I got a new microphone at the beginning of December, and I just spent like three or four minutes tearing my office apart trying to find the screen that I normally set up in front of my microphone, uh, and then realizing that my new microphone has a screen built in, and (laughs) I no longer have that screen. Um, That's how long it's been. That's... What a bonehead I am. <laughs> and speaking of boneheads, uh, really quick, because it's been so many weeks, as soon as I finished, as soon as the podcast launched, I should say, I was like, oh, no. Um, I was talking about uh, Run Me to Earth by Paul Yoon on the Anticipated Show, and I said it was his first novel. I'm a bonehead. It is his second novel, uh, Snow Hunters being his first. So sorry about that, Paul. Um, <laughs> no, I, no one said anything to me. I just, as soon as it was done, I was like, wait, that's not right. I remembered incorrectly. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out. And so now, hopefully, no more mistakes. <laughs> Which I just, I just cursed us like for the rest of the show. But, uh, hey, so yeah, Kelly, what's going on in your new year? How's it going? Uh, um, pretty much just going. Um, we are, anticipating really bad weather this weekend so I'm like trying to figure out what books I'm going to read because we'll be stuck inside and I've been just like on a roll when it comes to reading since the new year began which is awesome um I found like a new morning routine which is giving me like an hour and a half to read before I even have to do anything else during the day which is yes so nice what about you what what's going on in your new year I feel the same way as you uh I'm I love turning over a new uh, reading journal or a new, mm-hmm. you know, spreadsheet. I get so excited. So I've been going at quite the clip, doing a lot of reading, reading a lot of great stuff. Um, I started watching Bones, which I had never seen before, um, which is very um, mid, mid-aughts, mid I guess I should say. <laughs> uh, but it's fun. It's exactly what I need, like just something in the background that I don't have to pay too much attention to, but I can follow along with like while it's it's playing but also like do data input and stuff like that um so that's fun uh yeah i don't think i don't think anything else um i am enjoying reading i'm really 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 excited to talk about the book that i'm going to be reading next so um i can't wait to tell everybody about that but first i'm excited to tell you about new books i'm excited to hear about kelly's new books and before we do that we are going to listen to an ad from our sponsor Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once... 
Belshanan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building, but turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Credit Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so my first pick this week is Uncanny Valley, a memoir by Anna Weiner. Now, if you're like me, I did not know that Uncanny Valley was an actual thing. Um, I heard about this book many months ago. I just thought it was the title of the book. And then I think it was an episode of SG-1 that I was watching. Someone mentioned Uncanny Valley. Might have been a different show been watching a lot of TV. Um, and I was like, wait, wait, what? Is that a, that's a thing? So I looked it up. And so if you were like me and you did not know what it was, the online dictionary tells me that it Uncanny Valley is used in reference to the phenomenon whereby a computer-generated figure or humanoid droid, I just said humanoid droid, humanoid robot bearing a near-identical resemblance to a human being arouses a sense of unease or revulsion in the person viewing it. So if realistic robots creep you out that's uncanny valley so now knowing that let's talk about this memoir because it's fantastic uh, anna weiner was 25 working as an assistant at a publishing house she was kind of tired of her job she wasn't getting paid very much i don't know if you've ever heard about you know publishing but uh, if you are not like high up in the publishing world uh, these these kids are are scrapping and you know, fighting to make ends meet, and there are 8 million people behind them who want their job. So, you know, I know a lot of people who live, like, five, six publishing assistants and interns, like, in one apartment in New York City because it's impossible to make a living in New York City as an intern or an assistant in a publishing house and also, like, afford to live there. Um, But she had, like, high aspirations. She was like, I'm doing the greater good. I'm working for books. I love books. And then she realized after a long time of her friends being like, whoa, you know, you're not making any money and her parents being like, how long are you going to make coffee for people? Um, she wanted to do something else. And she read this article about startups and got really excited about this one startup 
um, that was going to revolutionize ebooks. And so she contacted them and they hired her. And it was like the startup, like it was in the article, it was like, you know, they just got $12 million to start. She's like, that's a lot of money. And what she learns in joining this new company is that $12 million for a startup is not actually a lot of money. It was just the beginning. They were in this little tiny, tiny office in the corner of another startup. She was the oldest person there at 25. Uh, the bosses of this, this company um, were all much younger than her. They had not a lot of experience, and they didn't really know what to do with her. They expected her to sort of make her own job. So she was sort of disillusioned right off the bat because she didn't like have anything to do. They didn't seem to want to do anything that she, you know she set up for them. You know she she was really excited about books, and she felt like nobody else there was, and it was supposed to be like an ebook company. Um, she doesn't name check any companies. She talks about social media sites. She doesn't, like, you could figure out from context or a little tiny bit of Googling uh, which companies she's speaking about. Um, but she doesn't name check them in the book. So she has this, she's just left her job at publishing and now she's at this startup that it's not going very well. Um, and when her three month trial is over, they decide that they're not going to, to keep her on. So they recommend she go work for this company out in California. She knows a lot of people who have gone to San Francisco and worked in Silicon Valley. And, you know, she thinks like, okay, the tech companies are booming. Startups are booming. I'm going to try this out. So she goes and interviews at a company that collects data from the Internet. Um, and it's very strange for her. The interview is very strange. Instead of being like, you know, where have you worked? They ask her questions like you would ask out of one of those, like, 1,000 questions to start a conversation things. Like, if you were a superhero, what superhero would you be? And, you know, what, like, all these weird questions. One guy gives her the LSAT to fill out because he forgot to bring his questions. So he just, like, he's like, here, just fill this out. I mean, it's very, like, weird to her. And again, no way at this company over the age of 30. She gets the, she gets the job. And she's very excited. It's it's a lot more money. They give her money to move out to California. Um, she rents a room in basically like an Airbnb. And the people, when she goes out there for the interview, she realizes like the people who own that place where she's staying in that room, they're sleeping in the basement because they're trying to like make money renting out this room. And she gets the job. She's collecting data. And like nobody really, at this point, like nobody knows much about when companies collect data. There are no regulations on on data collecting at this time. So she goes out and her excitement quickly wanes. Um, she finds that there is a lot of misogyny in tech companies and startups. There is a huge lack of diversity. Um, she realizes that in renting a room and a house, uh, she is contributing to the raising rents and is pushing people out that used to live in those neighborhoods. Um, and she's realized there's a lot of stress and loneliness that comes along with working for a tech company. And also, it's like another planet. Like, they're so strange out there. Like, the the bosses of this company are very strange. If you've read Bad Blood um, about, you know, the company that was out there doing the blood testing, supposedly, uh, and you've read those stories about Elizabeth Holmes, you know, like, how the the bosses are kind of... They don't seem to understand what else is going on in the world. It's like this kind of like tech bubble. Um, and she just, she's very conflicted because she wanted to do good, but she feels like she's contributing to, um, the evil in the world, you know, like data collection. And, you know, she's just helping making wealthy people wealthier, which is not what she wanted to do. Um, she wants to do good. And so, you know, she talks about like what it's like to be out there. Um, I really enjoyed uh, her writing. Her writing is amazing. Someone called it like Joan Didion in Silicon Valley, and I don't think that's far off. I think she's an incredible writer. Uh, I found her explanations and the language that she uses to be 
very easy to understand because I was like, am I, she starts talking about different tech things and I'm like, I'm not going to get this. But she does it in such a way that she doesn't dumb it down, but you also understand what she is speaking about. And she makes some really great observations about the planet and tech and information sharing and, you know, everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, so I highly recommend it. It is called Uncanny Valley, a memoir, and it's by Anna Wiener. My first book was pick is a book I'm really excited about. It's You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters by Kate Murphy. Um, so as I was reading this book, I was thinking about how there are like 5 million books out there about communication, about how to give a speech, how to negotiate, how to be effective in relating to others verbally. But there's basically nothing out there about how to be a good listener. And this is a book that is about that, about being a good listener. So chances are that it's been a long time since you've been listened to really well. Um, because listening well isn't when somebody interjects their own experiences or shares an anecdote that may or may not be related to whatever it was you shared. Rather, um, listening is when you feel listened to uh, because the, in, the person who's listening to you is engaging you with their curiosity. And this is what Murphy says is uh, what makes somebody a great listener. They don't one-up, they don't interject, they don't parrot or offer hollow sentiments back to what you're saying. Instead, they engage with curiosity, asking the sorts of questions that engage you as speaker to dig a little bit deeper. Every single page of this book was so fascinating and engaging, and it made me think a lot about the role listening uh, plays in everyday communication. And it made me think a lot, too, about online communication and really sort of cracked open for me what makes some social media tools like Twitter great for broadcasting, but really ineffective for actually listening? Um, because that involves an engagement that isn't quite there. I found one of the sections in here really, really surprising. It's the section where uh, she talks about this experiment where people who commute were given some options. They could commute by themselves, like they wouldn't have to sit next to somebody, or they would have to sit next to a stranger and listen to the stranger. Um, and I like, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, I want to sit by myself. I don't want to engage with anybody else. Like, I don't want to talk with some stranger. And this was sort of what everybody anticipated they would find. But actually, at the end of the study, they discovered people who sat with a stranger and engaged them in active listening, rated their commutes more positively than those who sat by themselves. And I thought that was so fascinating. Um, the real takeaway being there that people are fascinating if you know how to listen to them and to engage them in in conversation in a, in a way that we just don't tend to do um, as much as we should. This one doesn't talk about data so much as it talks about sort of the soft skills of being a good listener. And I felt like that was really valuable. Um, it's a book that digs into why listening is vulnerable and how it connects us to each other. And it's not something you can measure in an algorithm. Um, it's just a really refreshing book that um, I highly recommend. And it's rare that I actually hold on to a lot of the books that I get for review, but this one I loved so much and think it's going to be a really great reference tool to return to again and again. So I put it on my shelf after finishing it. And that is You're Not Listening, What You're Missing, and Why It Matters by Kate Murphy. Okay. My next pick is a mystery. It's the first in a new series, which is exciting. It's called The Missing American by Quay Cordy. Cordy is the author of the Darko Dawson series. This is a new series featuring private detective Emma John, and it's wonderful. 
Uh, Emma John is a police officer in she's had dreams of following her father's footsteps uh, through the police force. Her father was a very esteemed police officer, uh, but it doesn't work out for her because her father did not have to deal with the advances of a superior officer. And when she turns down those advances, Emma is fired. She's let go. Uh, and so now her dreams are dashed. So she takes a job working as a private detective, which is not what she wanted to do with her life, but here she is. Now, meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., there is a middle-aged widower named Gordon. He is on the internet uh, uh, for a, on a site for um, single seniors, and he meets a lovely Ghanaian widow. You can already see where this is going. Um, and she wants money. They, they strike up a relationship, and then she needs money because she tells him that her sister has been in a car accident. So Gordon's like, oh, yes, you know, my lovely, you know, new girlfriend, please take all this money, uh, you know, from my account. And uh, so his son's not really crazy about that idea. He has a son named Derek. He thinks it's a really bad idea. But Gordon's in love with this, you know, widow. And then he decides that he's going to go to Ghana and surprise her. So you can tell how well that's going to go. Uh, he And so Gordon goes to Ghana and he disappears. So now his son follows him. Derek shows up in Ghana and he hires Emma to find him because, you know, money's gone. Dad's gone. Um, and so together they investigate. Uh, they, they sort of explore the under the dark side of Ghana, the underbelly of Ghana, and get involved in the world of scams, which happens to involve like priests who are helping these men scam people around the world um and nobody wants to talk about it because they're making good money and so you could be in you know danger if you start squealing about what's going on um there are twists and turns i really really enjoyed it i enjoyed the setting i enjoyed the characters i really enjoyed that um every i mean i like reading a detective novel about like quote unquote damaged detectives you know who have made a big mistake or you know have all kinds of problems uh, but emma is actually like She's just a very strong woman who stood up for herself and, you know, faced down, you know, sex sexism and in return, you know, like it was an, it was an injustice that she was let go. And so she's just dealing with her circumstances. And I really enjoyed that about her. I thought the characters were very well done and three dimensional. Um, and I look forward to the next book. So that is The Missing American by Quay Cordy. My next pick is Black Girl Unlimited by Echo Brown, and this fabulous novel is going to be really, really powerful for a lot of readers, and it'll be super confounding for others, and that's why I think it's kind of a magical novel. Um, the audience who it is perfect for will find it and really, really connect with it deeply. So this is a story of a girl named Echo who is growing up on the east side of Cleveland with her mother, and her mother is addicted to drugs. And um, she was also the victim of sexual sexual assault. So listeners who um, will be triggered by that know that going in, that that's going to be uh, something that comes up quite a few times. Um, so she lives there and uh, she has two brothers, one of whom ends up in juvenile detention for a period of time and then the other one who obviously doesn't. Uh, but Echo is this exceptionally resilient girl and part of it is because she's really a wizard. Uh, she can turn everyday situations around using the power of her mind and she chooses to tap into the darkness and black veil that surrounds everybody um, or herself and she chooses to tune turn toward their lightness. So um, Echo strikes up this friendship with a girl named Elena, who is a white-passing queer hijabi, and together 
both of them are wizards and they use their power uh, to help Echo teach her brothers that they have this incredible potential to rise above the situation they live in. So then something really tragic happens to Echo and suddenly she sees herself in her mother's shoes and she begins to really detach from reality and her world and she doesn't know if she has the power or strength to continue living until she remembers the power she has as a wizard and discovers she also has this passion for words and poetry and um, this is sort of what spurs her to move forward and become like the best person she can be. Uh, the book is told in a nonlinear way, and it's about literal black girl magic. It's about race and poverty, about intergenerational trauma, and about the way that black women have been always systematically oppressed. Um, Echo herself is a is dark skinned and experiences not just racism but colorism as well. And this becomes a huge challenge for her when she is given the opportunity to thrive in a new living situation where um, she has this opportunity to see what a functioning uh, marital relationship looks like and a functional interracial relationship. But the connection she makes with this particular man is a little bit uh, tense because of the difference in their skin color. Uh, this is Brown's debut novel, and it's very much about Black pain, but it's also about Black magic, Black resilience, and um, really looks at how Black lives can can thrive, and that the world around them, despite not wanting them to, can't be the, the leading voice here. Um, it's a challenging read, and um, yet it's one that like is really rewarding, and the payoff, both for Echo and the reader, is really worth it. It's just as fabulous. It's not magical realism, but I think fabulous is the best way to describe it. It flirts with with magic as well as being really situated in, in the real world. And that is Black Girl Unlimited by Echo Brown. Okay. My next book is Dark and Deepest Red by Anna Marie McLemore. And it's a wonderful dark fairy tale, which is exactly what I wanted. So that worked out well. Um, it is in two perspectives. There is Layla, who is a Romani girl in uh, 1518. She and her aunt have moved to the this country, um, which is Strasbourg, which is now modern day France. Um, and she is not allowed to tell anybody really like that they're Romani or use her her um nickname because it's associated with money everybody thinks they're witches so they just have to like keep a low profile but in 1518 at this time this is actual history uh there was the dancing plague which you might have heard of which was like a month-long plague you called it a plague in which about 400 people started dancing which sounds like a party but then they didn't stop and ultimately they went on, like, without resting, without eating, without drinking, uh, and several people died of exhaustion, died of heart attacks, died of strokes because of the dancing. Um, and, you know, there are reasons for that, but for the, you know, this book, of course, it's 1518, so people are like, witches! This is obviously the work of witches, because everything was the work of witches back then. Um, and then we also have the story of uh, present day. There is a character named Rosella. Uh, she is involved with uh, Emile. Uh, who is a relative of the family blamed for the dancing plague in 1518. And this revolves around red shoes that Rosella has and that her family were responsible for making back then. Um, and so this is, 
Red Shoes, yes, it is the retelling of the Hans Christian Andersen story, The Red Shoes, which I am embarrassed to say I have not read. Um, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, it works for me in this book. Didn't need to know the actual story, um, but I'll probably go and check it out eventually. Uh, so she has these red shoes, which uh, back in the day, um, their family made them and they were like these amazing shoes. Like women would wear them at their wedding and they would suddenly not be afraid to get married. And they were, you know, filled with love for their husband or people would wear them, you know, out walking around and they would like feel better about, you know, themselves. And um, it's it's uh, it's really interesting. Uh, so not only is this a retelling of the red shoes, but it's a queer retelling of the red shoes. Uh, Layla is in love with a trans boy. And we see in this fairy tale, like a lot of the fear and hate that comes along with witchcraft, but also, um, you know, people's fear of anything that is different than anything that they understand. So they do a really great job combining the history with the fairy tale, the, the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, um, and exploring like the joys and sorrows of being yourself and the, um, you know, it's just like so atmospheric and romantic and beautiful. There are content warrants for transphobia and homophobia and racism. Um, but this is my first Anna Marie McLemore book. Um, I feel like mm. I may have read another one of theirs, but I don't can't remember. I'm getting old and <laughs> all these titles are just like leaking out the holes in my brain. Um, but I loved this one. It is Dark and Deepest Red by Anna Marie McLemore. So my next pick is We Wish You Luck by Caroline Zankin. And I will start by saying this is the second MFA in poetry slash writing book um, that I've read recently, which is like a very weird, specific niche thing. Not something I seek out, but just something that I have read twice pretty pretty close together. Um, so this one's told through a collective voice, and it's a slow burn story that is the telling of a story of revenge. So think of it as like a story being told as a story. So it's a little removed. Um, and it's the first residency for a class of MFA writing students at a small college in Vermont. You can think Bennington here. Um, and everyone is sort of feeling each other out, making choices about who they want to be connecting with over the course of these residencies. And then there's this new teacher who is this ingenue who um, immediately captures everybody's attention. Um, and as the story goes, Simone, who is the new teacher, tore apart one of the new students writing to the point that the student was crying. Um, he felt like he would never be a good writer again. And it was just like the super brutal critique that eventually led Jimmy to doing something drastic. And that action brought about his fellow MFA peers to seek revenge upon this teacher and unravel the truth of her quote-unquote genius. Uh, this book sort of takes a while to get going, but the writing is really immersive and atmospheric and easy to stick with. Uh, interestingly, like I said, this is a second MFA-themed book I've read this year, and it's a really clever takedown of the systems and privileges within such programs. Um, it's also a really clever takedown of the academicification of creative writing and a critique of the ideals of what makes a good, worthy story. Um, trigger warnings in this one, and I'm not going to say what, let's just say mental health related, um, because I don't want to give away too much of, of what's going on. Um, but stick with this one and you'll be rewarded with a really clever and enjoyable revenge story. And that is We Wish You Luck by Caroline Zankin. Okay, before I tell you about my last pick, we're going to hear from another one of our sponsors. 
Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right. My last pick today is Cleanness by Garth Greenwell. This is one of the most anticipated books of the beginning of 2020. Uh, he wrote What Belongs to You, which is a really great novel. I think I mentioned on the show when it came out. Everybody's been holding their breath waiting for this one. And it's really great. It's also set in the same time. Uh, as What Belongs to You, it is in Bulgaria, and it is about an American teacher. He is recounting his, the experiences that he has had living abroad in Bulgaria, uh, mainly the sexual experiences and the human connections he has made while he is there. Um, he has a broken heart uh, at this point. It's not a spoiler. Um, and he's kind of leaving. He's leaving Bulgaria, and he's thinking like about everything that has happened to him. The book is told in six stories, six slightly not related, not chronological stories. Um, it's a, it's a queer psychological novel about love and power, the toxicity that comes along with, um, being shamed for your desires or, um, you know, being told like what is acceptable and what isn't. Uh, if you couldn't guess just from me talking about it, it is quite explicit. It's quite steamy. Um, but Garth Greenwell is such an amazing writer. Um, there is a reason that, you know, everybody has been so excited for this book. Um, he doesn't use a lot of paragraphs, which I actually really enjoy. I mean, I guess it, it depends on the writing. If it's not good writing, then, you know, I'm like, oh, but 
he's such a beautiful writer that it doesn't bother me at all. And it's just such a great book. I also really enjoy reading about Bulgaria. Um, I don't know if, if anyone's ever read, you know, Elizabeth Kostova. She wrote The Historian. Um, she is married to a Bulgarian man, and she lives there part of the year. And she introduced me to some literature from Bulgaria, and it was just absolutely beautiful. And also, if you read um, Brain Pickings, Maria Popova, she's from Bulgaria. I had no idea, like, there were so many people from there. But it sounds like an amazing country, and he does a great job writing about it. He does a great job in this book talking about desires, and I just loved it. It's Cleanness by Garth Greenwell. My last pick is Saving Savannah by Tanya Bolden, and there's been this increase in the number of YA historical novels lately that feature teens of color at the center, and more specifically, um, girls of color at the center, and it's making me so happy to see. Um, Bolden is a longtime writer for young people, and this time she brings readers to 1919 Washington, D.C., uh, in the story about an upper-class black girl who wants nothing more than to make something interesting of her life. So Savannah knows she's privileged, uh, her family has some money, but she's worried that she'll never do anything important or powerful in her life. Um, her brother has moved to New York City and has his own photography shop, and she's finding herself becoming bored by her longtime friend and neighbor Yolanda. So um, when the housekeeper that cleans her house is sick, her daughter is stepping in for her, and when she steps in, Savannah forms this really quick bond with her, and it's through this girl that she finds her way to a school on the other side of town that helps less privileged girls gain a solid education. So this is where Savannah decides she wants to volunteer, but uh, it's also where she meets somebody who introduces her to the um, rising concepts of radicalism and socialism and anarchy. Um, so it's 1919 and the the wars just ended and Spanish flu is waning. Uh, but this is when the race riots are heating up and Savannah, who is trying to push herself outside of her comfort comfortable area in D.C. finds herself seeing and being put too close to comfort um, to these experiences that are putting her life and her future on the line. Um, and after one really close call, she is um, prepared to be totally reamed out by her parents. But it's here when she learns about the incredible life that her mom had and how even though it doesn't look like it, her mom had longed for and found a purpose and meaning for her own life. And this is sort of what ultimately helps Savannah understand what it is she wants to do herself. Um, so this is a, a YA book told in third person, which doesn't happen a whole lot. And um, the exploration of such a specific historical moment through the eyes of a privileged Black girl is um, really compelling. And uh, Savannah is super aware of the politics that are going on around her, including the Anthony Amendment and the protests happening by Alice Paul and other white feminists uh, who are trying to secure suffrage. Savannah is really keen to the fact that this is a, a movement for white women and that she knew her purpose in her life needed to be bigger than that. And this is a book, too, where reading the author's note is essential. Um, Bolden offers a really awesome picture of this historical moment um, in a perspective that I'd never seen before. Um, it's too often that we 
only hear the stories relating to poor and hurting black people, but this story, as well as the stories from which uh, Bolden was inspired, are a reminder of just how deep and wide the black experience was throughout all historical periods. And again, this is a one. Uh, this is a story about a very privileged black girl during a time when um, we believe that that wasn't a thing that happened. Um, and by we, I mean white people who don't know much about black history beyond what they're taught in their classroom. Um, and that is Saving Savannah by Tanya Bolden. Okay, so those are our new picks. Um, I, this was fun. I was so excited to talk about books. I'm like <laughs> shaking in my seat because I get so excited. Um, so now tell me what you're going to read next. I am going to read Tigers Not Daughters by Samantha Mabry. It's her third book, and I cannot wait. Um, it's about a trio of sisters who live in San Antonio, and her writing is actual like magical realism. So I'm really excited to to dive in. What about you? Okay, I am so excited. Like I I am over the moon, and I can't even believe it. And I'm so sad that I have to work this afternoon because I just want to sit down and read this. I just got a manuscript of the new Emily M. Danforth novel. Mm. She wrote The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is an amazing, amazing YA novel that came out several years ago. This is an adult horror novel coming Ooh. in 2021. Uh, the elevator pitch is that it is the story of a cursed boarding school in coastal New England and then the making of a 21st century horror film about that curse and also features the 1902 memoir, The Story of Mary McLean. Uh, Mary McLean, who was a very badass woman from the early 1900s uh, in Montana. Um, Emily calls it Picnic at Hanging Rock, plus The Blair Witch Project, plus Night Film, plus, or times, lesbians. <laughs> mm. So, if you can do that math, it sounds amazing! I just, I, I can't believe that I was, I was given this, um, and just losing my mind to read it. It sounds incredible. It also has illustrations! Illustrations! And I just got the manuscript, it's like 650 pages. I don't know what it'll be when it's finished, but that's a lot. So I'm going to take the weekend to read that. Uh, I'm going to stop talking about it now, but oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. <laughs> I cannot believe it. Uh, so that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, if you want to reach us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Kelly is Hey Kelly Jensen. I am Franzen Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as I would like to talk about the new Emily Danforth, uh, we just don't have the time. <laughs> but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.